Now, by way of introduction to what we're going to look at, I just want to say that, you know, although God is, is sovereign over his creation, he has gifted us with the ability to choose, to make decisions, right or wrong, to go this way or that way. Yeah. And I know he knows what we're going to do. I know all that. Yeah. Um, but we've, we've been given this great responsibility of, of choosing on a, on a daily basis. And as Chronicles describes the history of, of some of Israel's and, and Judah's kings, it also records their choices, the decisions that they made and the consequences from those choices. King Solomon, he chose to gratify his flesh, to worship foreign gods, and to lead the people in doing the same. King Solomon's sons, Rehoboam, Jeroboam, they chose to try to vie for power and position within the kingdom. And so, when we reach the point where we are now, I know you've been traveling through, the kingdom that is supposed to have been a light to the world, a light to the Gentiles, of what it meant to have a covenant relationship with God, that kingdom is broken. It's been broken into two, divided, as you, you've seen. The kingdom of Israel in the north, the kingdom of Judah in the south, and it's not merely divided, it is warring with itself, one upon another. And what we're going to look at this morning, we're going to look at two kings, uh, one called Abijah, he's also called Abijam uh, in the scriptures, and then another called Asa. Now, since I said I've got a lot of ground to cover... I'm going to do a little summary here to begin with, that chapter 13, feel free to read it. <laughs> but at chapter 13, what we have here is King Jeroboam, and you can put that slide up if you want, if it's there. We had slide issues, so whatever. if they're there, they're there, they're, they're not, it's fine. Um, King Jeroboam of Israel has come down to most likely invade Judah with the designs of taking Judah over. That's probably what is in his mind. And so King Abijah of Judah, the south, has come up to meet him. And so you have both armies in battle formation. Abijah, we're told, is, is outnumbered. It's, it's two to one. And knowing that, one of the things that he does is, is, he, is he climbs up on a mountain to where he can address Jeroboam and his troops. And he gets up there and he, he rebukes Jeroboam and his army for departing from the Lord. That they had forsaken the worship of the Lord for the worship of golden calves 
the Jeroboam is set up. And if the map is there, there's, there's two little rook-like pieces up there, little castle pieces. And that's where they set up uh, places to worship the golden calves. And in doing this, they have forsaken the true worship of God in the temple. They have established their own priesthood. And Abijah relates to Jeroboam that in the south they haven't done this. They haven't done that. They've not forsaken God. That they still had the Levitical priesthood. They still had the temple. And because of that, God was with them, the south. And that if the north were to attack them, that they would be fighting against God. He says the priests are with us. And the priests are ready to blow their trumpets. And that blowing of the trumpets by the Levitical priests, that, that really was a symbol that God's presence was with the people. And that he would be on their side in battle. And so Abijah's up on the mountain and he's saying all of these things. To Jeroboam, the troops of the north. And Jeroboam's probably half listening because he took the opportunity, as Abijah is speaking, to do some plotting. And what he did is he sent his troops to go around behind Judah while Abijah is talking. And so now... The northern troops are completely surrounding the southern troops. Yeah. He's a good military strategist. And his, his, it had worked brilliantly. And so now Judah is, is outnumbered two to one. And they're surrounded. Not good, militarily speaking. <laughs> and so... How are they to respond to this? How do we bring this home? When we find ourselves in situations where maybe we are surrounded or we feel like we are surrounded, circumstances, difficulties, whatever it may be, as God's people, where are we to turn? What are we to do? Well, let's see what they did. So chapter 13, I summarized a lot. Verse 14, it says, And when Judah looked, behold, the battle was in front of and behind them. And they cried to the Lord. And the priests blew the trumpets. Then the men of Judah raised the battle shout. And when the men of Judah shouted, God defeated Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. Judah did not defeat Israel. God did. He did it. And it says, 
Abijah and his people struck them with great force, so there fell slain of Israel 500,000 chosen men. Thus the men of Israel were subdued at that time. And the men of Judah prevailed because they relied on the Lord, the God of their fathers. And Abijah pursued Jeroboam and took cities from him, Bethel with its villages and uh, Jeshanah with its villages and Ephron with its villages. Jeroboam, the king of the north, did not recover his power in the days of Abijah. And the Lord struck him down and he died. But Abijah grew mighty and he took 14 wives and had 22 sons, 16 daughters. He was busy. The rest of the acts of Abijah, his ways and his sayings are written in the story of the prophet of Edu, which we don't have. But Judah cried out to the Lord when they were surrounded. And so that's instructive to us that when we're surrounded, I know we might not have armies all around us, but you know what I mean. When we feel like we are surrounded, where do we turn? Do we turn to those things that distract us? Do we turn to those things that that numb us? Where do we turn? Or do we turn to the Lord? And so they're a great example for us here. They turned to the Lord and they relied upon the Lord. The Lord gave victory, a great victory. And I read there that, that they even took Bethel. And that's significant because that's one of the places where Jeroboam had set up golden calf to be worshipped. And so the, the loss of Bethel was showing from God, your God of gold, it can do nothing. We've taken it. Did you win the battle even though you had two to one? And you surrounded? No. You lost. And so Jeroboam, he never recovers, really. From his, 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 his dying day, there's no real recovery on his part. And I wanted to think about choices here. Because these guys, they've made choices. Things could have been different. They could have been different. Jeroboam, as he listened to Abijah... Speaking about the Lord and speaking about how far the north had turned away from the Lord, Jeroboam could have repented of his idolatry. He could have led his troops in doing the same, returning to the Lord, but he didn't. He didn't do it. He died a committed idolater to a God that could not bring him victory. That's tragic. The choice of that day shaped the rest of his tomorrows. And it shaped more soberly his eternity. You know, many of us, we have important days. And we make important decisions. And they shape a lot. Now I know God is gracious and he can recover and he can bring beauty out of ashes. But sometimes there's consequences that we still have to face. We have to face them. Direct result of choices. 
Now Abijah, he made choices. He made a choice to identify with the Lord, to rely upon the Lord to deliver him in this overwhelming odds. And the victory that was won and the choice of that day for him, it led to greater strengths in his tomorrows, at least physically speaking. In this, Abijah is a great example to us. That Once again, when we're seemingly surrounded by our enemies, where do we turn? It's to the Lord. The one that can bring the deliverance, the one that can bring the victory against all odds. He will bring it in his perfect way and in his perfect timing. Now, if this was the only record of Abijah's life, it would, that would be great. <laughs> but I'm sorry, it's not. It would seem like he lived victorious. But unfortunately, that wasn't the case. First Kings informs us that he wasn't really committed to the Lord. He allowed idolatry to be practiced rampantly in the kingdom. He didn't stop true worship of God, but he didn't promote it either. This is what 1 Kings 15, 3 and 4 say in regards to him. And he walked in all the sins of his father, who was an idolater, which he had done before him. His heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by setting up his son after him and by establishing Jerusalem. The speech that, if you were to read it here in Second Chronicles, that Abijah gave, the speech that he gave made it sound like he was a man who was completely surrendered to the Lord. But he wasn't. He was a man of duplicity, compromise. He was a man who had chosen the road of compromise. And he was also a hypocrite. <laughs> Sounded very holy. You read it. He sounds like he's got a great relationship with the Lord. But he doesn't. He was living very differently. And so he made some choices. He made the choice that, you know, he could have lived in right relationship with God. He could have lived the way that he talked. He could have lived according to those truths, those very truths that he proclaimed about the Lord. And then after this great victory, he could have responded to that the grace that he had received, he could have responded to that and said, you know, I am living for you and for you only for the rest of my days. But he didn't do that. I mean, he lived for wives and kids and power. We can see that. But he wasn't living for God. He enjoyed material blessing and prosperity, but it was by the grace of God. It was for David's sake. That's why. God was having grace upon Jerusalem, upon Judah, for David's sake. 
But from Abijah, that kind of tragedy of his real life, we can also, we can also take encouragement, I think. Because if God so powerfully answered the prayer of a man who was in compromise and a nation that was really in compromise, how much more will the Lord answer yours and mine? Because we are, we're seen differently, aren't we? Because, not because we're, we're all that great. <laughs> we're actually not. Um, sorry, it's true. Um, but because of Jesus. Because by his grace, we are clothed in his righteousness. When the Father looks at us, he sees holiness. He sees Jesus. And we've been made joint heirs with Jesus. We've been brought into God's family. And because of that, how much more willing do we have God's ear when we cry out to him? And not just hearing us, but answering us as well. He does say no, by the way, too. That, that, isn't, that is an answer. Sometimes we're like, no, God hasn't answered yet. And he's, no. <laughs> no, wait, he, I'm sure he hasn't answered yet. No, seriously, no. And it's like, okay. He does say no. Well, after Abijah's death... His son Asa ascends to the throne. And we're going to take a little bit closer look um, at him. He comes to the throne around the age of 20. And the beginning of his reign contrasts his father's reign, his grandfather's reign. The beginning is very different. Chapter 14, verse 1. Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa, his son reigned in his place. In his days, the land had rest for 10 years. And Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He took away the foreign altars and the high places and broke down the pillars and cut down Asherim and commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the commandments. He also took out all of the cities took out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the incense altars, and the kingdom had rest under him. Now his grandfather, his father, idolaters. But here we have Asa, a young man, making choices. Make a lot of choices around 20, don't we? And he makes these choices... And they're good. He chooses to institute religious reform. He's like, I, I'm not going to tolerate this. We're getting rid of the idols, the altars, the sacred pillars, the wooden images, the incense, all the weird practices that came with all that stuff. No, we're getting rid of all of this. And he, with kingly authority, he commands the people to seek the Lord. Follow the law. And the commandments. And so he's a great example. Despite the trajectory of his parents and his grandparents and what they had modeled for him, 
Asa chose at this point to put God first. He puts God first. He chooses not to compromise with a plethora of gods that the people worshipped. He chooses to worship the one true God and be committed to Him. Feedback. Is it where I'm standing? I'm alright? Okay. Now, the result of his choice to do this, these things, to put away compromise, to promote truth, he gets peace. It says, and the kingdom was quiet under him. That's in verse 5. The land was quiet for 10 years. Verse 1. And with that peace came stability. It tells us in verse 6, And he built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest. He had no war in those years, because the Lord had given him rest. He compromise with sin. It never brings true peace, nor stability. If we think about our own lives for a moment, how much anxiety and instability have we experienced in our own lives because we chose to give in to sin and compromise? I mean, my first 23 years were without Jesus, so a lot. <laughs> a mess. Now, sin... And compromise, they may promise peace and stability, but they can never deliver the real deal. Ever. Well, as Asa chose to be loyal to the Lord, here he, he benefits from peace and, and stability. And in, his, in this time of peace, he makes another choice. He chooses to take the opportunity of peace to prepare for the potential of war. Look at verse uh, 7. There. Chapter 14. And he said to Judah, Let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought Him and He has given us peace on every side. So they built and prospered. And Asa had an army of 30,000, sorry, 300,000 from Judah, armed with large shields and spears and 280,000 men from Benjamin that carried shields and drew bows. All these were mighty men of Valor. He took the opportunity to prepare for the potential of war. After ten years, that day came. Verse 9. Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots and came as far as Marsha. 
And Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up their lines of battle in the valley of Zephatha at Merisha. There's a lot of debate about who this guy is, Zerah the Ethiopian. Um, a lot of them think he was a mercenary in the employ of Egypt. But regardless, Asa finds himself in a similar situation to his father before him. He's outnumbered. He's outmatched by a superior army. And so how was he to respond to this? <laughs> it's not a good spot to be in. Well, verse 11. And Asa cried to the Lord his God. Oh Lord, there is none like you to help. Between the mighty and the weak... Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not male man prevail against you. That's a great prayer. Asa is open, honest with the Lord. He confesses, this is way over my head. We need you. And nothing can limit you. You're above this, Lord. And you know, God, God who delights in doing the impossible, <laughs> he's going to do it. And so here Asa identifies with the Lord. He, he's open about his weakness, and he's like, God, I, I need you to come through. And God, God's going to come through, just to let you know. And how much, how much will he do so? For us, he will in his perfect way and in his perfect time. Verse 12. So the Lord, once again, it's not Judah. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Asa and the people who were with them pursued them as far as Gerar, and the Ethiopians fell until none remained alive. For they were broken before the Lord and his army. Broken before the Lord. The men of Judah carried away much spoil and they attacked all the cities of Gerar. For the fear of the Lord was upon them. They plundered all the cities for there was much plunder in them. And they struck down the tents of those who had livestock and carried away sheep in abundance and camels. They returned to Jerusalem. And so this massive army loses. Because they're fighting against God. And not only do they lose, but apparently the Philistines, those villages belong to the Philistines, they are plundered. And probably because the Philistines welcomed this big army in and said, go ahead, you go get Israel, that's fine. Just leave us alone. <laughs> they lost too. So there's this great, great victory. Once again, because Asa is relying upon the Lord. He is our strength. He's the one that wins the battles. Who are we going to trust? Chapter 15, verse 1. I've only got two chapters to go. Okay. <laughs> the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, in all Judah and Benjamin... The Lord is with you while you are with him. 
If you seek Him, He will be found of you. But if you forsake Him, He will forsake you. A little warning there. For a long time Israel was was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without the law. But when in their distress they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought Him, He was found by them. In those times there was no peace to Him who went out or to Him who came in, for great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the land. They were broken in pieces. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every sort of distress. But you... You, take courage. Do not let your hands be weak. For you, your work shall be rewarded. So a prophet comes. prophet comes and he encourages Asa. He commends him, but then gives warning as well. And you know, Asa had already brought religious reform to the kingdom. He had labored already for the Lord. But there was a lot more to be done. Because the people were very quick to go back to their false gods all the time. So a lot of the things he had done had been undone. (laughs) And so here Asa finds himself in another important decision time. He can listen to the prophet. Remember, this is God's word to him through a prophet. He can listen to the prophet, the words of the Lord, and he can implement uh, more reform, which is needed. Or, he can succumb to the temptation of many who have come before him and come after him and think, I've pursued God enough. I've done enough. It's time for me to rest. The people, they will never change. They won't change. It's time for compromise. It's time to do that. I don't know about you, but there's times where I've felt that way. I felt, you know, I've run, I've run pretty good. I've been running. And I've been running hard. But I'm tired. And, you know, maybe it's time a little compromise with the world. I've resisted enough. Now, don't get me wrong, there's times for rest. (laughs) But what does that rest look like? Is it a rest of resting in the Lord, of like, okay, Lord, I just need me and you and refreshment in you? Or is it rest of, uh, I think I need to go back to my old life for a while and rest in that. Choices. Those feelings or those thoughts, that's an important decision point. It really is. It really is. One that I've seen fellow believers, fellow co-laborers in Christ make the wrong choice and start going down the slippery slope of sin and compromise. And so we need to remember the, the prophet's words here. But you, you, you be strong. And do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. 
Sounds a little bit New Testament-like, doesn't it? <laughs> Ring a bell? Yeah. Maybe, okay. Exhortation that we do have in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That we'd keep running. We'd keep looking at Jesus. And we keep getting our, our strength and our encouragement and our refreshment in Him. That the temptation to compromise with the world, our old life, life, those things, we wouldn't go down that road. And so Asa, he's at a decision point here. How is he going to respond to the prophet? Verse 8, chapter 15. As soon as Asa heard these words, the prophecy of Azariah, the son of Oded, he took courage. Yes. <laughs> and he put away the detestable idols from the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities he had taken in the hill country of Ephraim. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the vestibule of the house of God. And he gathered all of Judah and Benjamin and those from Ephraim, Manasseh, and, and Simeon who were residing with them for great numbers had deserted to him from Israel when they saw the Lord, his God was with them. There he were gathered in Jerusalem in the third month of the 15th year of Asa. They sacrificed to the Lord on that day from the spoil that they had brought, 700 oxen, 7,000 sheep. And they entered into covenant to seek the Lord, their God of their fathers, with all of their heart and with all of their soul. But that whoever would not seek the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, should be put to death. That's whether young or old, man or woman. So they were serious about this. They swore an oath to the Lord with a loud voice and with shouting, with trumpets and with horns. And all Judah rejoiced over the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and in Sodom with all their whole desire, and he was found by them. They sought God, and he was found. He promises that if you seek, you'll find me. You will. He was found. Even mak matcha, sounds like a drink, um, his mother, King Asa, removed from being queen mother because she had made a detestable image for Asherah. Asa cut down her image, crushed it, and burned it at the brook Kidron. Now, matcha really does sound like a drink. Um, she was wicked as could be. She was the wife of... Uh, his grandfather, can't remember his name right this second. <laughs> and she had been instilled as queen mother um, for his father's reign. And this woman had been a wicked influence upon grandfather and father and the nation. Because she was continually pointing to false gods. Here we have the record of Ashereth. And so Asa... Boy, did he take courage. 
because she was a woman of power. And he deposes her. And he does a thorough job of getting rid of the idol. And that's great. <laughs> a great example there. And so he takes courage and he removes the idols once again. He's clearing out the land again. He's repairing the temple. He's taking care of, of Macha's <laughs> power and position, putting her aside, getting her out of the way. And so he responded well to the prophet's message. He did take courage. And he did put the Lord first. He would have faced lots of opposition in doing this. And yet he did so. And so here he had been faithful to God. And so God gives him another time of peace and stability. But one thing interesting, and I don't want to make a whole lot about it, but in the previous time when he joined peace, he prepared for eventual war. This time, he gets a time of peace, and we do not read him preparing for eventual war. Once again, I want to make a whole big deal about that, but it is interesting to me considering what happens next. And it shows me that he failed to prepare for war in the most important place. In his heart. Brothers and sisters, we live in a battleground. This is not our home. It's not a, not a place to rest. <laughs> we have an enemy who's really good at what he does. We live in a world that I think you've probably noticed <laughs> is not a fan of God. So we need to be sober. We need to be vigilant. For we live in the battlefield. Home is coming, and it's going to be great, Amen. but we're not there yet. So we may experience times of peace and rest to a degree in this life, but boy, should we be preparing for war in that time of peace. There with the Lord, in his word, in prayer, making sure that we're strong with him. We need it. If anybody needed it, we need it in the day we live in today. Well, as Asa did not prepare for war and was enjoying his time of peace, Basha, the king of Israel in the north, well, he was preparing for war. And he knew that a lot of his people were going south. They were going south because they wanted to enjoy the peace of Asa's reign. Some of them were going south because, hey, Asa's instituted religious reform. He's, they're going back to the Lord. I want to go back to the Lord. We're going south. And so Basha sees this, and so he comes up with a plan of his own. Chapter 16, verse 1. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, the king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah that he might permit no one to go out or to come in to King Asa of Judah. So what happens is, I think there's a slide for this, but Basha comes down. 
He takes territory from the south. He wants to keep his subjects from going south. And then he also, he fortifies Ramah. And that's very close to Jerusalem, if you can see that on the map. And so that puts Jerusalem in a precarious position. Because if Basha can get a lot of troops to Ramah, Jerusalem's right down the street. And so Basha's, he's planning well. Now, this isn't the first time that Asa has faced an invasion. God had delivered him from the Ethiopian, overwhelming odds, but this is a different time. This is a different season in Asa's life. How is he going to respond? Well, verse 2. Then Asa took silver and gold from the treasure of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, There is a covenant between me and you as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you silver and gold. Go, break your covenant with Basha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel. And they conquered Ejon, Dan, Abel, Maim, and all the store cities of Naphtali. And when Basha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah and let his work cease. The king of Asa took all Judah and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber with which Basha had been building. And with them he built Geba and Mitzvah. So, what did Asa do? Asa was able to send money, tribute, to the king of Syria, so that he would attack from the north, betray his covenant with Israel. And because of being attacked in the north, then Basha would have to move his troops and go northward. The plan worked brilliantly. That's exactly what happened. And Asa was even able to go up, take all the supplies that was there in uh, Ramah, and he was able to build his own forts and take some ground. It was a brilliant plan. Militarily, he's acting like a tactician, just like Jeroboam and Basha. But there's something missing here. And it's pretty big. Where does it say that he asked the Lord about the plan? Where is his prayer of dependence upon God? In chapter 15, it tells us that after the victory, that he put silver and gold into the temple treasure house. Now, he's taking it out, and he's giving it away. Because he's buying an army, basically. What's going on? Well, it appears that Asa made some decisions, some choices. And we noted that we don't see any record of him preparing for battle in the time of peace. And it really appears that he did not prepare for battle in the most important place, like I said before, in his own heart. Somewhere along the line, he chose, he chose not to be reliant upon the Lord. He chose to compromise. And by the time the war came, the battle came, he was sorely unprepared, spiritually and practically. And his heart was far from God. Far from God. 
Now last time when he won a battle, a prophet came. A prophet's coming again. Part 2. Verse 7. At that time, Hananiah the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Still is. You've done foolishly in this. For from now on, you will have wars. It's a very different message. Asa's good result, humanly speaking, was a tragedy. The reason it was a tragedy is because he decided to do things his way, not God's way. And he didn't get the victory that God could have gave him. The prophet points out, you could have had the king of Syria too. But instead, you're now in debt to the king of Syria. You could have been his master. And as I was thinking about this and praying it through, you know, I wonder how many victories God desires to give to his children, but he's unable to. He's unable to because we aren't really willing to seek him and to allow him to give us the victory that he wants can't answer that question, but I do wonder. Well, the last time a prophet talked to Asa the truth, spoke the truth to him, he responded well. He's been in this kind of situation before. Then he listened and he went from strength to strength. That was a different day. It's a different time. This was God's word, remember. He's got a choice. What's he, what's, what is he going to do with it? Verse 10. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in the stocks in prison. For he was in a rage with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. Asa's heard the word of the Lord. To him. And instead of receiving it and repenting, he gets angry. Choices. Asa could have repented. He could have listened to the prophet's words. He could have repented. He could have sought God afresh. He could have gone back to relying upon God, seeking God, because God is a God of grace, is he not? There would have been grace, there would have been restoration, but he chose rebellion. He chose rebellion. He chose to reject God's word. You know, God, he continues to speak today. Hopefully he's been speaking this morning. He speaks through teaching. He speaks through his word. He speaks through the church as we gather together and we 
exhort one another. He speaks through circumstances. He speaks through conviction. And when he speaks, I hope we listen. We really do need to listen. Because, you know, he knows the beginning from our end. If he warns us about something, we really need to listen because he knows what's right around the corner. He knows. But Asa, he chooses rejection of God's word. He puts Hananiah in prison. That word prison, it literally means house of stocks. So it was a place of prison and pain. And he, he's persecuting other people. And, and most scholars think that those are the people that stuck up for the prophet. They got persecuted too. And so things have gone from bad to worse. One bad choice is given birth to several others. Asa is the first king of Judah to imprison and persecute a prophet. This is a precedent, a precedent that would unfortunately be followed by others. His choice would embolden those who come after him to do the same and worse. Our choices are important. We never know how much our choices, either for good or evil, shape the choices of others. It's sobering. Well, did Asa ever turn back to the Lord? I'm almost finished here. Unfortunately, he did not do so. Verse 11. The acts of Asa, from first to last, are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet, maybe from gout, they think. And his disease became severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord. But he sought the help from physicians. It's okay, doctors. That's not the problem. The problem was his heart, and he didn't seek God. NHS is good, okay? And Asa slept with his fathers, dying in his 41st year of his reign. They buried him in the tomb that he had cut out for himself in the city of David. They laid him on a bier that had been filled with various kinds of spices prepared by the perfumer's art, and they made a very great fire in his honor. He started great. He finished lousy. Suffering physically, but not willing in his heart to turn to the Lord. Asa did not enjoy his final days in the victory that he could have if he would have held fast to the Lord. If he would have held fast to the God of the impossible, who can bring victory out of certain defeat. Once again, a great start, terrible finish. And you know, it's not so much how we start. It is how we finish. It is how we finish. And so these guys, they made choices. We got choices too. And so may they be a Example, a reminder, however you want to take it, that our choices are important. They have consequences. They really do. But I wanted to close with switching gears, thinking about Jesus. It's always good to think about Jesus, right? <laughs> Jesus is our coming king. 
He's our coming king. And he is not like these guys. He's not an Abijah. He's not a Jeroboam. He's not an Asa. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the perfect one. He is uncompromising. (laughs) Unlike kings that compromised, Jesus does not compromise with sin. He deals with it. And he's dealt with it on the cross. There's not going to be any compromise in his kingdom. It's going to be sorted. And he's unchanging. He's not like Asa starting well, finishing bad. Oh no. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his kingship is going to be glorious. Going to be glorious. And he's uniting. Not like these guys that are dividing. He unites all people under his banner, his perfect kingdom, sharing his rule with all those that are willing to accept him as Lord and Savior, sharing his heirship with us as the church. Tremendous. And so we look at these guys of the past, ooh, they they serve as good warnings. But then also, oh, may we have great encouragement because there is a kingdom that is coming. Really is. He's coming back. And he's going to set it up. And it's going to be beyond words. Glorious. Amen? Amen. Okay, I'm just going to close in prayer. We made it. Father, thank you for the record of your word. Thank you for the example that we have of of these men. Their choices. And Lord, as we have looked at their lives and been confronted with a few things and encouraged with a few things. Lord, may you help us to be wise and to choose wisely. We're in those decision points, Lord, that we would choose you and what is right, that you would direct us by your Spirit. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would protect them in this battleground, that you would strengthen them, and that, Lord, that they would prepare for war in the most important place in their hearts. Seeking you. Because you have promised that those who draw near to you, you will draw near to them. And you will strengthen. Lord, I'm sure there's all kinds of different situations and scenarios represented in this room this morning. But thank you that none of them are above you. And so, Lord, I ask that you would, you would bring your victory in your perfect time. Thank you, Lord, for your grace, because it is by your grace that we are here now. Because of what Jesus has done for us. We thank you, praise you, in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.